Hey Crossings podcast community. This week's teaching is called Faith in the Other and is part one in our series called Holy Other. It was taught by Caleb Gilmore on July 9th, 2023. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, So according to the great theologian and public speaker, Michael Gary Scott from The Office, uh, the most important part of a speech is the opening line. And when time is not a factor, I like to try out three or four different ones. It's from Phyllis's wedding episode. Unfortunately for us, time is a factor. And this opening is at least the fourth attempt in a Google document for me to try to figure out how I'm going to start this new series. Um, I'm incredibly excited and nervous to begin uh, this study that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. I'm excited because it feels necessary in a world that we live in currently because the outgrowth of a nearly decade's worth of spiritual wandering for me, this series represents that. I'm excited because it feels like a conversation that's typically avoided in churches at all costs. But I'm nervous um, because it's deeply personal for me to engage in this series because it wrestles with what I think is a failure of our faith tradition to grapple with things like globalization, modernity, and the purpose of the church in that world. I'm nervous because we're going to be discussing loaded religious words like holiness. I'm nervous because in the following weeks, we're going to be talking about other world religions and how we might become better Christian neighbors by understanding them more deeply. And I'm nervous because I still have in the back of my brain somewhere an inner fundamentalist that tells me that I'm veering off of the tracks that we're not allowed to do this, that people will feel uncomfortable. And so that feels like an appropriate amount of hedging for one teaching series. If you want to get coffee with me sometime this week and hear one of the more radical or more cowardly openings that I attempted before I settled on this, just hit me up on the way out the door. Um, But today we're going to be beginning a new series called Holy Other, Uh, The inspiration really came from a book called Holy Envy by Barbara Brown Taylor, highly recommend that book, Uh, who spent years teaching uh, at a college called Piedmont University in Georgia, a religions class, a world religions class. The subtitle of her book reads, Finding God in the Faith of Others. And so for the next four weeks after this week, we're going to look at different religions. We're going to look at the religions of Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and also diverse expressions of Christianity. We're going to discuss how they are distinct and different, probably, from the faith that we practice, how they are other than us. But we're also going to talk about the difference, uh, how that difference reveals aspects of faith that seem overlooked or maybe even missing in the historical Christian faith. My hope is that we listen deeply, are intrigued, 
and maybe even a little jealous of other ways of relating to God's divinity. I hope that we find ways of relating to other humans made in the image of God that inhabit different faiths while also growing more deeply in our own Christian expression of faith. So like any gambling service or weight loss pill, here's the disclaimer. Crossings has always been and will continue to be a Christian faith community, and this series is not an attempt to make us anything else. Studying these things will not make us any less rooted in the life and teachings of Jesus. In fact, we hope it makes us better at our own faith. So if you're like me and you have an inner fundamentalist pacing the floors of your mind right now, tell him or her to take a spiritual volume and enjoy the ride. Second disclaimer, uh, this series is not an apologetics course in which we will ultimately offer the reasons as to why Christianity or our version of Christianity is superior to the faith of another tradition, uh, even if we do it in a nice way. Uh, on the flip side, the point of this series is also not to say that Christianity and insert whatever religion we're talking about are really basically the same in some abstract, vanilla, big idea where each religion is offering some different off-brand of Coca-Cola in a religious vending machine. It's not a Religions 101 course. Uh, the entire agenda of this series is to say that Jews are different from Christians who are different from Muslims, who are different from Buddhists, who are different from everybody else. Depending on where we stand, they are other than us, and we are other than them. And in realizing this, we don't need to be combative or fearful because of that difference. This series is ultimately about how we are to be good neighbors despite those differences. And so to get there, we really need to understand this very loaded word, this word holy. Until I got to college, holy was a word that I knew but did not use very much unless I was in my car, in which case it was modified by a word I'm not supposed to say at church. But that all changed uh, when I took a class at Johnson University just down the road by a guy that we just all called Doc. Uh, his name was Doc Reese. And on the first day of class, he wrote the word holy on the chalkboard. Yeah, we still use those back then. And he proceeded to give us several different definitions of that word. But the one that shook me as a 19-year-old was the word transcendence another word I had probably never used until that moment. God, he said, was holy. And part of what it meant for God to be holy was for God to be transcendent. God went beyond the boundaries, beyond the limits of the ordinary, time-bound material world that we all live in. God was, in a sense, other. And whether it was intentional or not, up to that point, I had pretty much always thought of God as a being that expected me to do or not do certain things. Sure, God was everywhere, but God was usually just off stage, whispering my lines to me, telling me where to stand and what to say. 
God's holiness for me, as much as I understood it at the time, was more about purity, making sure God and the world were untarnished from the ickiness of sin, which I constantly threatened to mess up. And despite God being holy or other or transcendent, God was also, Doc Reese would say, imminent. He was here. He was present. He was involved. So the idea that God was other, while also being imminent and accessible, changed the way I thought about God from that point on. In fact, I basically ended up writing a dissertation about how holiness works in the world because I'm so fascinated by how God's otherness shapes our world and our lives. And I'm still puzzled by the fact that God is other, that God is holy, and yet so many people seem to know exactly what God is or about. But I'm even more puzzled by the fact that God asks us to be holy in the same way that God is holy. There's a book called Leviticus. It's in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And it's a book completely about God's holiness, God's otherness. And in chapter 19, the author says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I want to take a second to unpack sort of what's going on here in this command. This, this command is given in the wilderness after God has delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But it's not necessarily even the first law that God gives to these people. According to the way our Bible's laid out, this command is somewhere in the middle of the Torah. We have the Ten Commandments before this. We have laws about loans and damages to property and holidays before we get to this command. But from a certain perspective, this commandment sums up Israel's existence. Be holy as I am holy. From this perspective, Israel existed in the world to be different in the same way that God is different from humanity. To call something holy, remember, is to call something other, transcendent. It is to draw a boundary line between two things. So think about it like this. God is other, God is holy, which means he is distinct from humanity. Asking Israel to be holy in the same way is to ask Israel to be distinctive from the rest of the world. In a sense, whenever there's a holiness line that's drawn, everything on the other side is just common. It's ordinary stuff. And obviously, we think of holiness, I, I think, as a good thing. It's the goal. Um, God is holy. God is good. But on the other side of that line, the common stuff, the everyday stuff, is not necessarily negative, even though it may be portrayed that way sometimes in religious circles. Uh, humanity, the other side from God's perspective, is called very good in Genesis 1. The world and all other people groups besides Israel still bear the image of God. The common world that we all inhabit the world of politics and cooking and family and sickness and death and community, it's kind of hard not to live in that world. 
Drawing a line between the holy and the regular everyday stuff doesn't mean that the everyday stuff is bad. It's just other, different. So when God instructs Moses' brother Aaron, who's the first priest of Israel, about what his job in the community is supposed to be about, this is what God says to Aaron. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean, so that you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. The community of Israel was ordered around this idea of holiness. And the leaders, the priests of Israel, were supposed to teach everyone the difference between the things that were holy, the things that belonged to God, and everything else, so that they could stay in this relationship with their God. Basically, if you want to break it down into an image, Israelite society was supposed to look something like this. If you're an Israelite that took the book of Leviticus seriously, that's how the world looks. There are concentric circles. There are boundaries. God is at the center of everything. God is also other. There's a line between God and everything else. There is a line between Israel and everything else. And yet, all of these things are still in the same sphere. They're still in the same world. And this is the part where, I mean, if you're like me, I feel like I'm in a Christopher Nolan film because God is holy, God is other than us, but God still wants this certain group, Israel, to imitate God's otherness from others. It's just like everything becomes an other at some point unless it's you. And this is the paradox of faith because we're always an other to someone else and God by definition has to be other than us. And so while there are boundaries between us and God and us and other people, those boundaries are always just on the verge of touching. We can't escape the circle. The question that Israel had was not what is this really about, the question that Israel have, the question that I have, is how do we live in that circle of boundaries and others well? How do we imitate God's otherness, God's holiness, God's transcendence, knowing that there will always be a boundary between us and someone else? Whether that's God or whether that's another person. And here's the problem. There's not a single answer to that question. There wasn't a single answer to that question in the Bible, and there's not a single answer to this question in our society. So let's walk through the options as they are. Israelite answer number one to the question of how to be holy as God is holy is pretty simple. It's probably the most common. Keep the other as far away as possible. Don't talk to them, don't eat with them, don't be in community with them. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, says it pretty plainly here. No Ammonite or Moabite, read other, non-Israelite, or any other of their descendants 
may enter into the assembly of the Lord. That's Israel. Not even to the 10th generation. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. That word for treaty or treaty of friendship is literally the Hebrew word shalom, which is a very important word in our community. It's this word that means peace and wholeness and restoration. You can't even seek the shalom, the peace of one of these foreigners, because they are so other and so dangerous that if you were to even seek friendship or their well-being, you would cross a fatal boundary line. Their otherness would taint you. The prophet Ezekiel had a similar thought to this. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel spoke and wrote in Babylonian exile. He saw his family ripped apart by feudal politics of kings and the carelessness of corrupt priests. Ezekiel was, in short, a trauma victim. And he was also a priest. So the theology of Leviticus, the be holy as I am holy, was the theology of Ezekiel. He understood what holiness was about. And after spending much of his book explaining to Israel why their exile was God's punishment for their bad worship and politics, Ezekiel has this vision of a utopia, a perfect place. And this utopia centered on a heavenly vision of a temple, a perfect temple, this place of holiness where God would come and live with Israel again. This was Ezekiel's safe place. It was an imaginary temple. It wasn't real, but everything was right there. And during this temple vision, Ezekiel tells us what he thinks went wrong with Israel, why they were punished, why they were exiled, and how it could all be made right again. This is what Ezekiel says in chapter 44. The Lord said to me, son of man, mortal, look carefully Listen closely and give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations and instructions regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance to the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. Say to rebellious Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, enough of your detestable practices, people of Israel. That's pretty much like standard prophet stuff. Uh, There's a vision God has He's telling Ezekiel to pay attention to this perfect temple of holiness. And God tells Ezekiel to warn Israel to stop doing all the things that they did wrong that landed them in this exile, the things that broke this holy relationship. He goes on. In addition to all your other detestable practices, you did this one thing. You brought foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, into my sanctuary, desecrating my temple, while you offered me food, fat and blood, it's animal sacrifice, and you broke my covenant. Instead of carrying out your duty in regard to my holy things, you put others in charge of my sanctuary. This is what the sovereign Lord says. No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, is to enter my sanctuary, not even the foreigner's who live among the Israelites. From Ezekiel's perspective, Israel had a border problem. The reason for the exile and the desecration of God's holy temple was that foreigners had been permitted to cross a boundary. 
It was because the line between Israel and others was not maintained. Israel had really ticked God off because of others. And in the future, the other would be banned from Israel's holiness in order to protect God's holiness in the temple. And that makes a lot of sense from one perspective. If you read this in tandem with the passage from Deuteronomy that we read, Others are dangerous. Others can make you lose your identity. They can make you lose your security. And this whole time, I have been holding back and not talking about the show Lost, where they introduce us to the others, because that's exactly what the show is about. The others were not the people who were on the plane. They were other, and they were dangerous, until they weren't. And sorry if you think that's spoiling. That show stopped airing 15 years ago. Uh, this perspective from Deuteronomy and Ezekiel has all the appearances of being a rock-solid biblical answer to the question of how we maintain our distinctiveness, our holiness, and God's holiness. Keep others out. Others are dangerous. Preserve the boundaries at all costs. If we transgress those lines, we risk losing ourselves and we risk losing God. Except that's not the only answer that the Israelites gave to the problem of holiness. Because answer number two to this question came around the same time as Ezekiel's hardline position, either in the time of exile or sometime after when Israel had finally returned home. Another prophet spoke about God's holiness, about God's temple, and about others. And this answer comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 56, this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. And this is generally an introduction of instruction here. Do what is right because the time of restoration is close. But it continues. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch, another group of excluded people in Israel, complain, I am only a dry tree. The word used here in Isaiah for foreigner is the exact same word that Ezekiel used to describe foreigners. Except Ezekiel envisioned a form of holiness that required others to be excluded. Isaiah explicitly says that foreigners who want to serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, should in no way consider themselves excluded. The boundary line of holiness for Isaiah doesn't keep them out. It invites them in. He goes on. For this is what the Lord says, the same Lord who was talking to Ezekiel, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, they hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I don't know that I can understate how radical this line of prophetic thinking is after having read Deuteronomy and Ezekiel. Ezekiel says no foreigner can come into the temple. 
Deuteronomy says they cannot belong to the community of Israel. And Isaiah says that within the walls of God's temple, they will be given names better than sons and daughters. The prophecy goes on to say, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. On the mountain of God's holiness, God's distinctive otherness, there all others may find themselves. How we got the idea that otherness was totally dangerous and forbidden cannot have come from the Bible, or at least not the whole Bible. It's more complex and diverse than we've been led to believe. And I imagine that in this community, we are somewhat mixed regarding holiness and otherness. Some of us may feel uncomfortable with the idea of engaging with other religious traditions in a dialogue. These lines may feel uncrossable, or if bridged, our distinctive identity will be threatened and dissolve into nothing. And personally, I feel that, I understand that. Uh, 19-year-old me may have walked out of this teaching already. There are probably circumstances in people's lives where it's not a safe conversation. It wasn't for Ezekiel. But I also imagine that some of us are sitting here exasperated with a brand of Christianity that's all about triumphalism and domination and an inability to read the room. I imagine that there are some of us who have needed permission for years to talk across the table to someone outside of our tradition to get a bigger notion of God and a richer expression of our faith. And I imagine that's partly how the prophet of Isaiah 56 felt. But what I find immensely interesting is that both of those tendencies are biblical. They both get included in the books. Both groups of people in Israel, on the side of Ezekiel and on the side of Isaiah, sat at the same table and said, we are Israel, we are holy, we are other. So why have so many Christians been told that it's not possible when it's clearly a part of God's story? Uh, we're beginning this study because I think we need a better understanding of God's holiness and our own holiness, but also and maybe most importantly, the holiness of the other. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says the supreme religious challenge is to see God's image in one who is not in our image. Jesus never told anybody to love their religion, but he did ask us to love our neighbor, to love the other. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor writes in her book, Holy Envy, Engaging the faith of others will almost certainly cause you to lose faith in the old box you kept God in. However it happens, your old box will turn out to be too small for who you've become. You'll need a bigger one with more windows in it. Something more like a home than a box. Perhaps where you can open the door to all kinds of people without fearing their faith will cancel yours out or if you let them in. If things go well, 
They may invite you to visit in them in their homes as well so that your children can make friends. This series, the one that we will be continuing where we study these things, uh, is about accepting God in the guise of the stranger. It's about learning to have meals with and arrange playdates with people who are different from us. It's about getting a bigger box or home for God and realizing that God is not that box or that home and that all the things that we know or think we know is not all there is to know. So whether you prefer, prefer a brand of holiness with strong guardrails or a decided lack of fencing, this series is for everyone, we hope. It is for you, but it is also for the other. May we all enter into the deep mysteries of God, God's otherness, as we look into the eyes of the holy other seated next to us. Let's pray. Transcendent God, we come to you often with a sense of uh, comfortable familiarity, with a closeness of being known by you, and we also come as strangers. We address you as other, different from us, and we acknowledge that just as you may seem a stranger to us, we are often strangers to ourselves. Lead us away from the easy distractions of making others our enemy. Guide us through the paradox of your expansive holiness so that you may be all in all. Amen.